To the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. The Dodgers are 48 and 24, and after going three and three last week, they're in thir- first place of the National League West by 10 and a half games. With me, as always, is Eric Steven. Eric, how are you doing? Very good. It sounded like you were going to say first place, and I wasn't going <laughs> to argue yeah. with you. Like, yeah, I was hoping no <laughs> one would point that out. I almost just like you know redid the intro, but I was like, no, you know what? I used to have I used to have a really bad lisp as a kid, so I committed oh. to it. First, they're in first place. How about that? They're firsty for more. They're firsty for a World Series. I like it. This week, we'll be going over the Dodgers' draft, talking about Corey Seager's hamstring, and somewhere we'll sneak a Cody Bellinger update. All of this after this ad break. So yeah, that was our first ad break. You excited, Eric? You know what? It feels right. I I, I wholeheartedly endorse product. <laughs> I'm curious to see what we actually just played. Not entirely up to us, uh, but it's up to some controversial thing. No, where, like, it's up to the good people yeah. at SB Nation who have taken us under their umbrella. I'm sure they've picked a wonderful product. We're excited because uh, that money is going to go to paying an editor. I am not a professional editor. I've I've been doing this for you know how long I've been doing this podcast now, Eric. It's a uh, it's way longer than I thought. We Wait, were losing to the say, Cardinals. Oh, <laughs> so like 14 or 13? It was 14, right? It might have been 13, but for, for a while now. Uh, and, so we're uh, like almost five. We're at, at least four years, almost possibly five. Yeah. And so wow. it's, it is, it's been a while. Uh, and so I am no longer in charge of the editing. Hopefully the podcast starts sounding way better now that we've got some ad breaks. And unlike when we had ads before, it should um, – they should we have way more control whenever they play because that was uh kind of obnoxious before so um we hope you're all excited for the higher quality podcast and we'll uh move on from there so i'm actually this is when i get a butt out eric i'm gonna let you introduce our guest to talk about uh prospects in the draft yeah for just real quick before i do that first of all it's been a while uh but also, um, what if our first ad was Farmer John? Like after all these years of talking about oh it. Oh my gosh. That, that would have been great. Oh my um, gosh. But anyway, uh, yeah. So a little bit of a break from a format because we have a guest this week and it's a great guest. Um, the uh, Dodger the MLB draft was two weeks ago. And to just, just discuss the Dodgers draft, we have uh, David Hood on, who's uh, written about prospects for a few years now, uh, several years actually, and a few years at uh, True Blue LA. Uh, David, how are you doing this evening? Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Sure, sure. Um, so, as like, I'm not really doing like day to day site managing anymore. So, like, I was telling you before we started, like, my investment in the draft, which is like I'm, my concentration is usually in the majors anyway. And like, so the draft was sort of a necessary evil for a while. But like now, since I've sort of taken a step back, I I am more ignorant about this draft post post draft than my, I have been in probably a decade. Um, so you're an invaluable resource for us right now. But just I guess to get things started, like, you know, we the Dodgers had the draft, they had 41 picks because they had the um, the extra first rounder from last year. Uh, what, what were your in, initial thoughts? Any like, uh, broad takeaways that you, you saw from the draft? 
Yeah, I think they did pretty well. I I kind of mentioned in some of my articles leading up to the draft that I didn't feel like this was the deepest class. Um, it's going to have some obvious stars. I mean, you, the guys in the top 15 picks, um, there's about 11, 12 of those that are, that are really, really good players that would have gone in that location in most years. But after that, I really don't think the talent necessarily measured up um, to some of the more recent years. So having said that, uh, the Dodgers did get pretty good value throughout the first two days. Um, there was five players total that they selected uh, on my top 200 and all within, well, five, I should say five that are more more likely to sign if you, if you don't count some of the late picks that uh, are kids that are almost certainly going to college. So they were able to get a lot of players right at or about ahead of where I had them ranked. Um, so that's always from my side, um, looks good on the Dodgers end and, uh, really targeted, especially college power and college strikeout performance. So two areas that have done them pretty well here in recent years, uh, going back to that well is kind of their, it's kind of Gasparino's MO at this point in the draft. Yeah. And like, um, just looking back a few years, um, uh, Matt Beatty, uh, speaking of college power, uh, he's batting third for the Dodgers tonight. So, like, you never know with some of these guys. Like, sometimes they'll hit and then uh, they'll just make their way through the minors fairly quickly and be an actual major league asset. So, who yeah, knows, and, right? And and I believe it was Gasparino made the point that, uh, you know, you look in the majors today and, and you know, the college profile plays. It uh, didn't always used to be the case, but – you know, a lot of stars come are still coming from the college ranks. Uh, and like he said, there is, you know, there's still room for improvement with these, these college guys. And maybe we won't talk about that so much with the first two guys taken, but some, some of the guys down the road, uh, there's definitely probably some, some place for some growth. And maybe they can turn some of these guys in into real quality major leaguers. Um I know I, I didn't. I don't mean this to like call you out or anything because it's more impressive than anything else. But I know in in, a, in previous years, uh, you it, just the insane effort you do to put together a like your your like top two hundred or however big it goes in some years, your list of draft prospects, and then you actually mock the first ten rounds or at least the Dodgers picks in those rounds. And like in previous years, you've actually like nailed a couple picks, maybe not the exact round. But the fact that the Dodgers took them, and it's more the article is more focused on like what their profile might be and uh, who who might they be targeting that kind of thing. So, but like uh, I noticed this year, like I didn't see anyone. Uh, it didn't. I did. Maybe I skimmed it, but no one that you uh, picked or mocked to them uh, actually got picked by them. But it, it kind of still fit the, the general profile of their draft, didn't it? Yeah, I I think it did, and, and that with that project, it's. I use on the board are are fairly good educated guests. Um, you look at guys like that they ended up taking like Ryan Pepio, the Butler right-hander in the third round, um, Aaron Oshenbein from Eastern Kentucky in the sixth round, and then even down like the 13th, 14th round, Cantleberry and Mellon. Um, not all those names were on my top 200, but definitely guys that I kind of looked at and knew they fit sort of the Dodger mold. Um, 
they're they're not really straying too far from what they've done the last two three years in terms of what they're targeting from the college level. So you can narrow down that pool of players on on where to target for that uh, exercise. But I think at this point now, with Gasparino and um, has been here as long as as the Friedman regime, we we have a pretty good idea of of what they target and where they're going to go in the draft. Yeah, um, I did a, a summer internship one year in college at Canterbury and Mellon. It was really fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, they've signed, as of right now, they, they signed their first rounder, Cody Hosey. They haven't yet signed Michael Bush, who was the other first rounder, the the JT Ginn um, um, piece. Any right. initial, initial thoughts on those guys, both, both college hitters um what do you think of, of those two picks sure well starting with Hosey, um he's a guy that i i looked at a lot i honestly thought was probably going to go ahead of the dodgers college bats tend to rise um come draft day because it's seems like it's a little more of a known quantity i had him ranked 27th so really him going at 25th is right in line with where i saw his value um as a player He's kind of got that new mold swing where the the hands start a little lower. Um, the swing path is very leverage focused and almost looks like he's swinging a, a, a golf iron as opposed to a uh, you know bat where the the follow through is not exactly all the way around the head, but gets a tremendous amount of power and, and taps into all his power in, into games. Um, so he's a guy that's probably going to move really fast through the early part of the minors. Uh, bringing both a uh, good batting eye and his power. Um, Gasparino had noted that uh, they liked him on defense. I think he's probably got a little bit of work to do. I saw some stiffness when I watched some of the defensive stuff, albeit it, it was pretty limited in what I was able to see and find on that. Um, and that 6'4", 200-pound profile is somewhat atypical at third base, but uh, he's certainly going to go go out at that position and, has a solid chance to stick there. Um, the Dodgers do like their versatility, so it wouldn't shock me to see him play some first and maybe some left field as he gets through the upper minors. But definitely a, a polished college bat that brings a lot of game power from the right side, which is uh, something that's going to be of value in the coming years. I was looking at the, the the sort of the rest of the draft. I know the as of now... Uh, Bush isn't signed, and then their second-round pick, um, Jimmy Lewis, isn't signed. He's a high school pitcher, um, so there's a little bit of risk there, obviously, of him, you know, going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, they Bush, did sign- oh yeah, go ahead. Bush Bush will likely sign here pretty soon. His yeah. team went a little deeper into the uh, into the college tournament, so those guys tend to kind of fall in line after about a week or two of their teams being eliminated. So I wouldn't I wouldn't foresee much issue there but just to touch on bush real quick um before getting into lewis he's a guy that i actually liked more before the start of the college year than just as a guy that had a really solid hit and power tool i really thought that at north carolina he would turn the corner this year still really good production um maybe my expectations were a little too high there Uh, but another guy that's probably more raw power than than game power, but does get to a lot of his game power. Uh, real strong hands. Uh, pretty good overall athlete, despite being kind of a square six foot, I think six foot 210 is what he's listed at. 
and I know they announced him as a second baseman. If you watch some of the infield work he did in the in the Cape playoff, uh, Cape All Star game, there's a there's a lot of work to be done there. So, but then again, you know, you look at the pros and, and see guys like Max Muncie and Travis Shaw playing second base on playoff divi- uh, playoff level teams, and and really the the paradigm of second baseman is is kind of shifting. So. Literally, it'll be interesting. Saying, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you know, just based on on body and athleticism, it looks more like a third base or left field profile to me, or in staying at first base ultimately. But they're drafting the bat there, and it's a really polished college bat. Um, another guy that's not going to spend a lot of time in the low minors. He's he's going to get to the to the upper levels pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh yeah. Go ahead. On Jimmy Lewis, um, that one's that one I assume would probably take some time. Just they're going to have to find money, I would assume, and other and other picks. And as we're starting to see some of those signing bonuses get get announced on Twitter, um, you can expect to see some of that savings you're seeing with some of those guys go to Jimmy Lewis, who is a a prep pitcher out of Texas that's got a commitment to Louisiana State. Um, but uh, you know, another six six. Uh, rail thin Texas flamethrower. It's uh, not an unfamiliar profile we've seen from the Gasparino era. And uh, the last one they did like that in, in uh, Dustin May has turned out uh, pretty well so far. So going back to the well a little bit with, with Jimmy Lewis and I actually have him ranked higher than I had Dustin May coming out of uh, high school. Um, But then Dustin May impressed us all with, with the polish that he showed right out the gate as a pro. So he kind of jumped pretty quickly in the rankings. So it's kind of tough to say who, who I would like better at this point, given what, you know, there was a bit of a a blind spot as far as what Dustin May's true value was um, before the draft. So we'll see kind of where Lewis ends up, but, Another guy with uh, good athleticism and obvious projectable build, and he's got three pitches and, and a good feel for spin on his curveball. So, somebody that uh, I guess what you'd call is a good mold of clay for the, the development team. One of those bonuses um, that just happened, I think, in the next the last few days, um, Logan Boyer, who was their eleventh rounder. Um, anything after ten rounds, the any any bonus over one twenty five. Uh, Hundred twenty-five thousand counts against the pool, so I think he signed for three hundred thousand. Um, so you know that takes a little bit away, but they still do have a a, a pretty good amount of surplus there still. Um, but like out with him, and then uh, I was going to say, are, are there any any other standouts you saw maybe past the the um, the tenth round that like that could be some somewhat of value to you? Yeah, um, well, Boyer's Boyer's probably the the big one, and and typically anybody in that eleventh round is is where you're going to see that pick made, where they're mm-hmm. going to stretch a bit. Um, and he was a guy that didn't throw a lot at San Diego State, so it's hard to say what he is. But uh, reports on his velocity are good. Uh, you watch his film, and and he throws natural cut uh, on the fastball, and he's got a bit of a spike breaking ball. Profile kind of reminds me of Will Smith, or not Will Smith, I'm sorry, Will Harris uh, with Houston Astros, a reliever that kind of relies heavily on that cutter, um, spike-breaking ball mix that 
pretty similar paths until the last third of the plate where it becomes pretty tough to to pick up on on the break of the ball whether or not he becomes a reliever like will smith or will harris remains to be seen but given that he's had a limited college track record it's it's really hard to say what uh, his future holds on the mound um in the similar vein uh their 18th round selection jeff belge he came out of uh the northeast as a as a prep pretty well regarded in fact there was even some talk of him eventually being a high round guy um kind of in that sean newcomb mold with the braves a uh, real tall left-hander actually has decent athleticism and looked like he could control his mechanics pretty well as a high schooler never quite got it put together at st john's and in fact some of the scouting reports you read will even tell you that his velocity dipped this year but you know, if if you're a believer that uh, if you've shown it before, then you've you have it somewhere. Um, he's kind of a good project for the development team again as a guy they may try to get back to his old ways as a as a prep star. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's that was it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, just you know, I guess the common question of any kind of any time a draft happens is. Uh, you know, it's probably the top two or the top one or two uh, picks. But are there any of these um, Dodgers draft picks that you foresee? Like, are they like almost automatically into your top ten prospects, or do you kind of have to see them first before uh, you, you sort of rank them? Well, well, I like to say that the the rankings on the draft board kind of reflect where the player would go into the system mm-hmm. without ever. Um, you know, taking facing a pro pitch or throwing a throwing their first pro pitch, it doesn't always work that way. Oftentimes, after the draft, I get more information or more video and can make an even better call on a player now that I can drill down specifically on that player. Um, but in this case, uh, just grades alone, Cody Hosey's going to move into the top 10. Um, I had him as a 55 tier player. If he hits his way through the low, you know, the short season and even in the low A as I expect him to, probably could creep up into the 60 tier before um, the end of the year. And that puts him in range of being in the top five before the year ends. Um, so that's pretty good value for, for late in the first round. Michael Bush was the highest rated player I had in the 50 tier. And I really struggled deciding whether I wanted to include him as a 55-grade player versus a 50-grade player. The tiers are where I really put my value in in the player as far as that overall grade versus their rankings. Um, so given that I had Michael Bush so close to that 55-grade, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he comes in and, and hits as well as expected that he would also move into that 55 tier, which would put him likely somewhere 6 to 10 in the back of the top 10. Um, and then after that, Jimmy Lewis will grade out before throwing a pitch at the back of the top 30. So it's safe to say that probably three of these picks are, are getting into the top 30 um, before they ever have to perform at the pro level, which is a good start. So, cause you know, once these other guys get in and, and either hit or pitch above expectation, we'll see the movement. And um, I do think there's there's pretty good depth in, in the class that they brought in that could uh, fill in some of the gaps in the system that's already pretty deep. 
back in uh, 2012, Paco Rodriguez uh, was drafted by the Dodgers, and he actually made the majors that year. That's super rare. Um, but I know it's on like the, um, the, you know, the front or the back of everyone's mind because sp- specifically with this Dodgers bullpen, it's their weak spot, and people are going to want to know like, uh, are any of their draft picks like is are are any of them like someone you could actually see in a major league bullpen this year? I, I figure the answer is no, but if not, let's expand it to say even like next year. Yeah, I mean the answer is probably no. There were guys that had they gone that route, there are some college relievers like Matt Cronin at Arkansas who really are not going to be moved into the rotation in, in the minors and, and are strictly relievers that could have moved quickly. They did take relievers in rounds uh, four, six, and seven college relievers. And in fact, the round six reliever, Aaron Oshenbein is one of the older prospects in this draft. Um, however, as a fun fact, he's a leap year baby, so technically out of birth dates, he's only <laughs> five-ish. Um, but he's he's a guy that could move pretty quickly as a reliever with pretty crazy strikeout numbers and, and a pretty advanced repertoire of mid-90s fastball, um, kind of a spike-breaking ball and a split finger. Um, but of those relievers, the guy I really liked was the fifth-round pick, Jack Little, who was Stanford's closer. Really looks though like he could be a a starter at the next level, and it's said all the time about converting uh, college relievers to starting, and rarely that that works out well. But Jack Little did throw a lot of innings as a reliever and was kind of used in that old Houston Street style three inning save type performances for Stanford. So. He's a guy that could move really fast if they left him in relief, but I think he's going to to stay in, in the bullpen. So really, of guys that would have a shot in the next two years, you're probably looking at those top two hitters and Cody Hosey and Michael Bush if they if they can carry their their tools up to the mid-minors and be knocking on that door. I looked up Oxenbane, and he was born in 96, so... 2020 to 2023 are going to be his age six season. Um, so he's going to shatter all the records, I think. <laughs> um, David, uh, thank you very much for the draft. Before we let you go, I do have one question, and it's it's more prospect-related than draft. Um, uh, we talked about this uh, last week. I thought it was a good question. I wanted your opinion on it. Um, Will Smith and Kay Barrowies are, you know, two of the Dodgers' best prospects. They're both catchers. Um, we saw this with Deona Navarro and Russell Martin um, uh, 13 years ago where they basically had to trade one of them because they didn't want to, like, sort of number ones competing at the position. Do you foresee a situation, and it's not maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, it might be late next year, but uh, can they coexist on the same team as catchers or or in some capacity, do you foresee that being a problem or is this going to be something the Dodgers have to sort of deal with before it gets to that? Well, I certainly think they could, especially with the way the Dodgers use versatility. And if, if you've read my stuff, you know, I'm a big believer in Will Smith. I actually ranked Will Smith ahead of Kiebert Ruiz. So I was really excited to see him play at his level and in, in AAA this year, as opposed to, last year where he really struggled at the end of the year and 
probably cost himself a chance for a September call-up and maybe even some postseason action the way he was playing at double-A. Um, but Smith's a guy that is an excellent catcher that can also fill in some at third, probably second a little bit. So if you had both of them at the major league level, I don't think necessarily one's standing in the way of the other getting ample at-bats. Um, the only issue I see is I don't know if Cabert Ruiz ends up making the majors with the Dodgers being is that he's probably their top trade chip at the moment. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to make any big move to acquire talent at the deadline, you got to believe his name is, is going to be the name a lot of teams are going to ask for. And as a guy that they probably can afford to part with, if you're going to part with one of your top level guys, considering how well Will Smith's playing and the depth of the catcher position in the system. Great. So, I mean, if you look at the performances so far, you can even talk about like a Hunter Fiducia that's been hitting really well with great legs, kind of working his way up that catcher depth chart. So you're even, you've even got more potential prospects filling in that gap if you deal Ruiz. And I haven't had the chance to get out to Tulsa's um, or to the drillers as much as I, I would have liked to get this year. And that's, that's probably going to be my project the rest of the summer is kind of filling some of the gaps on, on the guys that I haven't seen yet. And um, kind of looking at where some of the guys that were there last year have, have gone. And, but if you just look at the numbers, some of the things that frustrated me with um, Ruiz doesn't seem to have corrected itself quite yet at, at the double a level. And that's given his age, not really a red flag yet, but it is something that I see that's just a little bit concerning. Um, still a guy that makes a lot of contact, but doesn't always make that contact count. You know, where you might be able to trade some strikeouts for power. He was a guy last year that too often would would go with what the pitcher's game plan was and, and go after pitches that were less likely to be driven with any kind of authority and just based on still low K rates, walk rate is improving, but really not seeing any changes in ground ball rate, fly ball rate, things that might, or even pull, pulled balls that would show you that there's, there's been a dedication to a, a shift more to in line with what the Dodgers are doing with the rest of their hitters. Right. Um, and just as a note, um, um, Will Smith homered again tonight. Uh, so he has five straight games with a home run for Oklahoma city. He's handled his demotion to the minors quite well, it seems. Um, so yeah, that's, it's looking good. Uh, thanks so much, David. Um, really appreciate your insight on both the, uh, those catchers and also the draft. Um, really happy to have you on. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day and hope to have you on again soon. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me and be on the lookout uh, around the all-star break for, my updated uh, prospect uh, rankings that I'll I'll do for midseason. There should be some pretty good movement this year based on what we've seen in the first half of the year. Looking forward to it. Thank, thanks again, David. All right, thank you. And we'll uh, talk about the major leagues a little bit after this ad break. And welcome back. That was great. I love it. It's always fun having David on. Uh, he he I knows mean, so much. <laughs> he, and, he, and it's like... It's, you know, he goes out to, to games. Uh, he goes out to minor league games. He watches a ton of video. And his comps of, like, are always like, it's never matters, these yeah. lazy comps. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this 
four string starter. I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> that that yeah, is and, a good he, profile. And he he doesn't like um he really tailors it. I know he used to write about Rocky stuff uh, for a while. He really knows like the team. Like um he'll so like he's familiar with like the sort of drafting philosophy or at least what they've shown with their, their picks and like he sort of tailors his um um not rankings but like where when he tries to do mock drafts or things like that he's thinking along with them so like it gives a a solid sort of um real like a realistic insight to it i guess is the best way to put it well you and i were talking about how long we've been doing this podcast so we should talk about someone that you and i have talked about with david from a prospect perspective cody bellinger you have an update for me I do. Uh, he is. Uh, he he actually got back into the home run game last week. Uh, hit three of them, um, and he is uh, his pace right now is up to fifty two homers and one hundred and thirty one RBIs and uh, eighteen steals. So he's not not quite the fifty twenty club, but close enough to where it's like doable. But um, <clears throat> I was looking up. Um, so he, he's on pace for one hundred and thirty one RBIs, but. Like even getting to 120 would be sort of relatively like um, noteworthy, at least uh, since the Dodgers moved to LA. How many players would you guess have uh, hit uh, have driven in 120 runs since the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles? As a Dodger, right? Yes, as a Dodger. Everyone in the majors, yeah. 120 <laughs> RBIs for the Dodgers as an LA Dodger. Um, Let's say six. You are very close. Okay. Um, it is five. Okay. Okay. Um, so Tommy Davis was the first. He has the record. It, 62 was like the weirdest year. It was the first year at Dodger Stadium. And um, it was also an expansion year. And um, and he drove in 153 runs. Like <laughs> um, That's still the Dodgers um, scoring record, at least for a, a, a team uh, since moving to L.A., uh, then Piazza, they went all the way till Piazza in 97, 124 RBIs. Sean Green, 125 in 01. Uh, Adrian Beltre in his uh, 04 Swan Song uh, with 121. And then Matt Kemp in his uh, near triple crown, near 40 40 season, 2011, drove in 126. Since then, um, Adrian Gonzalez led the majors in RBIs. Uh, oh man, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was 2016. Uh, with 116, no, I guess 2015. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's they they don't get to 120 very often in LA, so we'll see if he can get there. On the sadder news, the other another prospect, <laughs> former prospect right. that you and I have talked about, Corey Seager, the story of the Dodgers offense on quite a few players are going through either slumps or many slumps, but Corey Seager was anchoring. Uh, that that offense, and then he pulled a hamstring. The te- yeah. tore what? Uh, it was a uh, like I said a one or a two tear of the yeah, hamstring. Yeah, so um, I guess initially, um, uh, Dave Roberts like the, the night of, and that's always like a, a guess at that point because they don't really know much. But he was Even like, after yeah, it it's sounded like, like a guess. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's a great two. Uh, but so, and that that's usually like a four to six week thing. That they they did the MRI and they said it's somewhere between a grade one and grade two, mm. but. He's like out basically till at least after the all-star break. So um, at that point, like we talked about the schedule um, last week um, and it was, you know, like uh, how they had what 26 games left. So he, he did it in the second game of that stretch. So he'd miss 
uh, it'll be like a four week miss if if he doesn't play till after the All Star break and like t- at least twenty four games missed. So that seems right to me, and, and it might be even be a, a week or two longer than that. Who knows? But that's roughly where they're at right now. I'm going to the Fenway series, which is the first series after the All Star break, and I'm really oh. hoping it's exactly right. I'd love to see him. That would be that would be something. Plus, they could be like, well, he could play DH since you know, like to ease him back in. Uh, they, there was some precedent here uh, in 2013, his first full minor league season. Uh, he missed three and a half weeks by uh, with the same left hamstring tear. Um, so, not sure of what the exact severity was, but um, then, but that's you know roughly similar. Uh, so, basically, in the interim, like Chris Taylor is going to be the sort of primary um, um, shortstop. Uh, going forward, you know, Kiki is basically at second and, and fills in elsewhere at times, but it's basically going to be Chris Taylor at short. And that's, yeah, he's been bad this year. Like at the plate, like I was looking up uh, entering Monday, he was at 223, 294, 391. His OPS plus is 79. His WRC plus is 80. I looked at baseball perspectives because they have that like DRC plus this year, which is a, a tad different than the others, but it's rough, you know, roughly similar. He's at 78 on there, so he's basically been bad all the way around. I wanted to see where he was at with, like, his batted ball stuff, and it, it got even more depressing. Um, uh, if you look on his stat cast numbers, um, based on his batted ball data and, like, exit velocity, things like that, his ex- expected batting average is 197. <laughs> his expected slugging is 311. His expected WOBA is 257. His actual WOBA is 294. So he's been like he's expected lucky. to be even worse than he has been. Like uh, if you look at like um, player pages, if, if they're like near the top of the leaderboard, their numbers are, they get like, they're surrounded by like a red glow, you know, or, and it's like, it's pink. And then it gets like fiery red or like hotter red as you get like Cody Bellinger is basically a bunch of red on his page. <laughs> and then like, uh, Chris Taylor is like a lot of blue. Uh, it's like the opposite end. And I was like, I was like, well, I wonder what the, the thing for that is. And so I scrolled over each of these, the expected batting average, bottom 3% of the league, <laughs> expected slugging percentage, bottom 5%, expected Woba, bottom 1%. And then his ex- average exit velocity is the bottom 4% of the league, 84.3 miles an hour. So he's, he's just not hitting at all. Like, and they, they, so they have to kind of, do, you know, hopefully he, he at least turns it around to uh, closer to what he was last year, which was a downgrade from 2017, but still like a productive major leaguer. Uh, so they, they have to get something out of him because they, and the other option is Kike Hernandez, who is also struggling. Right. Basically, roughly hitting the same as, as Taylor on the season, although better, a little bit better batted ball data. But like, man, that's I, I. It was one of those things where I, I really didn't know going in. I, I, I wasn't really, I haven't been paying atten- that much attention to the batted ball stuff. But I was thinking, hey, let's just see what this shows. And I was like, oh no, like what is this? Like this is, this was, uh, this is bad. So yeah, it's it's rough. Well, we're gonna head in the questions. Do a kind of a quick, quicker weekend review since we uh, talked to David for a while. Uh, just real quick, your thoughts on the week. It was a weird week, right? Three and three, but the series in the Cub was kind of encouraging. A lot of different kinds of wins, playing against one of the other better teams in the NL. But then this just stinker of a series in Anaheim. Yeah, so it was like weird. Like you're right, three and three, where 
it could be more impressive because they won three out of four against the team they might play in the playoffs in the Cubs. But then also two of the three losses were like blown leads by the bullpen late, like one by Kenley, one by Joe Kelly, uh, who had like the, Ooh, the I Joe Kelly game of the off. I that appearance out of my brain. Thank you. I was like, yeah, oh, it, what yeah, was the it, other bullpen loss? I forgot. It, was, it was the first day of the week, like last week. So like we recorded that day. And then that night was like that crazy game. And well, plus they had already given up these. So they had a two run lead. Um, Dylan Floro gave up a two run shot to Mike Trout. You know, it's Mike Trout. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, and then, so it's a tie game. And Joe Kelly, who hadn't pitched in any kind of leverage at all for like, we five talked weeks. about him on Monday, the day of the game. <laughs> right. And we were like, this is kind of hopeful. Maybe some good stuff's happening. Yeah. And like, and, the, but you know, that it's been in like low leverage, that kind of a thing. And then he immediately goes into high leverage, and then and he he didn't even give up a hit. Like he was, but he still gave up two runs because he couldn't find the plate. Like uh, the the one of the run scoring plays was a 60, uh, 60 footer like fielder's choice that produced a, a safe result at the plate. Uh, he had three walks. One was intentional. Two wild pitches that counted. Another one that didn't. That bounced so hard off the uh, backstop that no one was able to advance. <laughs> so like it didn't count as a well pitch. Like it was, it was like, like watching it. You're like, this is art. This is, this is crazy. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it was a weird week for sure. Like uh, I don't, um, I, you know, there's no real like deeper meaning. I don't think to it, but it was just, it's one of those where you could take it either way. Like impressive that they were managed to win three or four from the Cubs, but also, man, why did they get, how did they get swept for, by the angels? And, Man, the bullpen's still bad. But then the bullpen didn't give up runs in the other four games. So it's like, you know, half a dozen of one, six of the other, that kind of thing. Who knows? Well, let's get jiggy with it with questions. You ready? Uh, quick quick note just before questions. Uh, I forgot to mention this when we were talking to David. The signing deadline uh, for draft picks this year is July 12th. So they have roughly a month. Um, then any time after that, then, uh, you know, you just can't sign them. So. Uh, the other thing is uh, when David mentioned Hunter Verdusha, you don't know how hard I tried. Uh, oh, to, I, I was I aware. Was, I, was I was holding him to something about the Dodgers, like having their fiduciary responsibility to bring him up. And that kind of, <laughs> I was, I'm like itching here, like oh, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then, but I had to get that out. But David uh, the is other, such a professional. He, he right, you exactly. He, um, so quick before we get to questions, Edwin Jackson, old friend alert. He pitched tonight for Toronto. Uh, they used an opener, so he actually pitched in the second inning. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, did he not pitch well! Uh, he did not. He did not get out of the second inning. Uh, he faced ten batters. Eight of them reached. Seven of them scored. <laughs> oh no! Three three of them hit home runs. Justin Upton, first game of the year, first pitch home run. Um, uh, Shohei Ta- uh, Otani hit one that was like I saw a gif of the swing. And it looked amazing. Like he somehow like just like sort of poked it to left and it like shot out like a cannon, like the other <laughs> way. Um, but like, um, so I looked this up, uh, Edwin Jackson, uh, now in the season, 1243 ERA, <clears throat> worst in the majors. His 966 FIP is the worst. His 640 X FIP is actually only the seventh worst. So this is out of 364 pitchers with at least 20 innings. He's at 25 in the third innings, 41 runs, 46 hits, 12 home runs. <laughs> if opposing batters against him right now, 390, 455 on base, 822 slug. <laughs> it's, he's he's almost at like 
Barry Bonds level. <laughs> uh, so like it, it's bad. It's really bad. You ready for this question? Sorry. Absolutely. If the Dodgers sign Will Smith the closer, we could have Will Smith catching Will Smith. What other teams had players with the same names on the roster at the same time, even if it's not as great as a pitcher and catcher duo? What do they do with the uniforms? So um, I I was trying to find a good shot of like the jerseys of this, but this is from Sissy, by the way. Um, The... Uh, the most famous one that I can think of is Bobby Jones with the 2000 Mets. Um, they had two pitchers named Bobby Jones. Um, Bobby J. Jones was a right-handed white pitcher. Um, Bobby M. Jones was a left-handed black pitcher. Um, and the latter only pitched one year for the Mets, or actually uh, two years, um, 2000 and 2002. But 2000 was the year... They were on the Mets together. And to my knowledge, I think they just I, – I thought for sure they had, like, something where it was like they denoted it, but it was just Jones and then their different uniform number that I could see. I, I This might be wrong, but uh, then I looked up, like, the, um, when Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. were teammates on the Mariners, they just wore Griffey with their number on it they didn't say senior and junior so like um it it's pretty rare um uh, but i think it's like case by case but then again sometimes you see where players share the same name um last name but not maybe not the same for the full name and they, they've used initials players have used initials before um so i think it's case by case but it, it's very rare and and believe me I, i'm rooting for it I think we need to have a Will Smith, Will Smith battery at some point this year. So I, I am rooting wholeheartedly for the Dodgers to trade for Will Smith and not have to give up Will Smith and say trade. I mean, they wouldn't, I don't think, in that kind of a trade. But um, I think that, that that would be interesting for sure. So I'm just looking this up now because I was curious because normally not a thing I care to look up. Do you know the, the middle names of the two Will Smiths? Oh, you know what? Um the the Dodger one, it's it's like a I I I, I know what it is, but I can't remember it. Dills. Um, but yeah, it, Dills. yeah, yeah. I knew That's it was strange. something like um, I knew it was something unique, but like I, I just couldn't remember it. Uh, pitching Will Smith is Michael Will Michael Smith. Um, and just to know another thing, Sissy asked last week, maybe the week before, she asked about the Joe Kelly bobblehead and like what if, if any starters starting pitchers had pitched on their bobblehead day. Um, you know, we don't really know of a database necessarily of that, but this, um, well, what we're recording this on Monday, uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, Clayton Kershaw scheduled to pitch on his bobblehead day. It's an anniversary of his no hitter. Um, so there, there's one at least for, <laughs> for Sissy. So, hey, all right. Uh, a real quick question. Do you think the Dodgers are obligated to uh, call up Will Smith before they go to Miami in August? Oh, man. Is it in the bargaining? I, you know what? I, I'm going to look up in the in the rule book. It, it's you. probably in there. Yeah. Okay. So questions from Craig. You ready? We've got five. Yep. I was trying to think of a comparison to the Anthony Davis trade in baseball and really can't come up with any. Of course, there's the Herschel Walker trade, which is kind of comparable because of the draft picks. Do you think if MLB allowed trading draft picks, you could get big trades like the Davis deal, or is it just hard to do because baseball is harder to project success? 
I do uh, wonder what the I, value of a draft pick would be. Like, I feel like a top 10 pick is, is similar to basketball, right? Where, like, very, very valuable, but as you get down, they just, they're, it's almost like the later picks would be more valuable than a basketball late pick. Um, but the, like, yeah, like those middle picks just don't have the, and even an early pick probably just don't have the, the same sort of leverage that they do in basketball. Yeah. And it's like, I think trading picks would be awesome in baseball. Yeah, me too. But like at the same time, basketball is so weird. It's so different because so star it's driven. a 12, 12 man roster. Yeah. And it's, it's a star driven league. So there's like a handful of players that are like absolutely do whatever it takes to like get them and you're fine, you know, like relatively like, whereas baseball is much more team oriented. Football is obviously uh, very like team oriented. Um, so it's much harder to sort of uh, have one player make so much of a difference. I mean, maybe a quarterback or something, but quarterbacks like rarely get traded. It seems these, I don't know, but like, um, so yeah, I, I think it would be something like, let's say, the year Strasburg was the number one pick where he was like so far and away, like one of the bigger like college prospects we've ever seen, or one of the bigger draft prospects we've ever seen. That would have been interesting had the nationals been able to trade that pick, you know, what they could mm. have gotten for him. That would have been something to see. So I think it's more like almost like uh, that would almost flip it where the, the, that number one pick would be the, the, the big asset in terms of like, uh, some teams sort of going for it. It wouldn't be like the Nationals are going for it by trading for uh, Randy Johnson or something. And then, get, uh, he, not that he was active then, but just like, uh, but then also give away the, that number one pick. I, I think it might be like, that was almost, that, that pick was the star that would have been the star of a deal. But who knows? Maybe, I, I don't know. But I, also I, I would love like who, what team, what, what position does your team need to be where you're going after an asset that doesn't, you know, come into value for, you know, Strasburg was very quick, but even still a year or two. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. Like, and he, so many he was trades are quick. demanded by, by win now mentality. Right. And so that, that's what makes it difficult, but like, man, it would be really uh, interesting to see it, but yeah, I, it's hard to come up with like an MLB equivalent. Uh, maybe uh, if you look at like what, the, I guess the speaking to Randy Johnson, I wonder if his trade from Seattle to Houston uh, ended up being good. If I remember right, um, I'm looking this up as I'm talking about. I know they got um, uh, Freddie Garcia in that deal, and like they they sort of had they helped like add some building blocks for the the team that would win 116 games a few years later. Um, so it was. Uh, Freddie Garcia, Carlos Guillen, and John Halama uh, ended up going to the Mariners in that deal. Where, whereas, like, and look, like, um, Randy Johnson was awesome, like the that year with Houston, and then like ended up winning four Cy Youngs you know, on his four-year free agent deal. So it's not like it's he was bad, but like the Mariners, like I was, I'm looking at their 2001 team. Carlos Guillen, I think she was kind of bad. Um, 87 OPS plus, but he was the starting shortstop. Um, but then you look at the pitching staff, Freddie Garcia, 18 and six with a 305 ERA. John Halama, uh, he had a 473. So yeah, it wasn't that good. Like, but that was like the one that came to but mind. Like, the they, they, one that came to mind for me, and again, it's, it's hard yeah. to compare, was um, 
Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips, Grady Sizemore, and Lee Stevens oh, from Bartolo man. Cologne, uh, yes. and Tim Drew. Uh, that, that's just like, that's all. That is a lot of value and sort of more prospecting. That was, right, that was one of the, the more, like, heavier, like, prospect deals you'll ever see. Let's <laughs> see what you did there. Oh, uh, oh! I didn't even, I, I didn't even think about that actually. Or Tyler, uh, who's got a lot of weight. See, I know. See um, what you did there. Uh, the Mark Teixeira trade too. Mm. Uh, the, the first one. Um, Braves Rangers. That was that was pretty nuts. It's sort of they got like Neftali Feliz, and um, it set up like the it helped set up the Rangers like two World Series runs. But like even that, it's 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 really you you don't. I think it, teams are so hyper aware. I'm like everybody's so hyper aware of prospects now that like those trades are harder and harder to come Mm, by. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Next question. I'm I'm going to talk to you off the air about the Lakers trade. I'm not happy about it. (laughs) What a competent franchise just keeps pulling it off. Cody Bellinger hit his 28th home run off a left-handed pitcher uh, in his career on Sunday. That puts him second on the LA Dodger list. Can Eric name the top left-handed Dodger home run hitter against same side pitchers? Um, okay, so, man, my first thought was actually Sean Green, but I don't think he was here long enough. Man, he here didn't really hit him enough, to, but maybe he, uh, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stick with Green. I don't really know. Well, that is correct. Nice. You got it right. I'm proud of you. He was short and sweet. He, 41, uh, he 41 of his time in L.A. Damn, the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup, ending their run as the oldest franchise that had never won one. My question is, who among the four oldest expansion teams will finally break their 50 years without a title? So you've got the Rangers, the Padres, the Brewers, the Nationals. And the Nationals and the Mariners are the two teams that have never appeared in a World Series. Hmm. Um, I mean... The Nationals are like disappointing again this year, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But it seems like they they are the most like they're closest or like readily built. That that said, it's really hard to say anything but the Padres, but just because the just the sheer amount of talent they have, and they have to. There's a lot of steps between having the up and coming talent and actually starting to win. There's they're starting to this. They're not quite there yet. But, like, I think within a few years they'll be really good. Um, but uh, So I would probably pick them over the Nationals. And obviously the Nationals are counting the Expos years. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I, I think if I had to pick one, I, I think I'd pick the Padres. It's interesting because you have to kind of go both on how the teams currently look and also just the franchise's willingness to, to spend and expand, which is where – and you normally you would discount the Padres, but they've been showing the willingness to do that. So I I'm gonna say the Brewers. I think they have enough of a sort of chutzpah to to maybe pull it off. Like they have to get a little lucky probably to beat some of the AL teams. But you know they were one win away from beating us and meet going into the World Series. And then who knows? They've got a puncher shot for sure. I don't know what made in my head me not hear the Brewers, but you're absolutely <laughs> right there. They they are clearly set up better than any other team at the moment. Like they could win this year. Like, but I also I, and surprise, they're not set up so well like, now. But in terms of just how the franchise has been run in the past, and I expect to run in the future, the the Rangers. You know, uh, I wouldn't surprise me at least if 
sort of none of these team really do it in the next five or six years, but then come down the line when some of the hopeful prospects for the Rangers uh, hit their hit their peaks, and then maybe they make a big signing or two. So we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Although records for the first half are based on how many games are scheduled before the All Star break, is it? Um, it is still something. So Gary Sheffield hit the most home runs by an LA Dodger with twenty seven in the first half. Can Bellinger top that in the next three weeks? Yes. I mean, yeah, it's three weeks, and he, he's what four shy. So yeah, I mean, like he just hit three last week. I know he had a slump where he didn't really hit one for a while, but. Like if he just hits one a week, he's one shy. And so we've like, got a, we've got a trip to Coors in there. Yeah, they. Uh, so yeah, and they they play a lot at home. He hits a lot of home runs at home. So yeah, I, I think I think he will get to that number. Did you see the San Diego Colorado series at Coors? I, I wrote about it yesterday. <laughs> like it was like uh, the Friday night game was the it should have been the signature game, but it ended up not being. Uh, like it, it, it caught me by surprise because that was a. It was 11-4 Rockies in the eighth, and then the Padres scored one, and then they scored six in the ninth, and then five in the twelfth. Uh, they won, and then on Sunday, the game was like, it was like nine to eight in the third, and I was like, what is going on? And I started looking up. I'm like, man, they have scored like every run this series. And I started looking up, and like that, there's this famous like Dodgers Rockies series from '96. Um, they scored 85 runs in that series. Um, and at the, at that point yesterday, like in the third inning, they were at like 82 runs. They ended up getting to 92 because <laughs> that game was 14 to 13. Um, but like th- they set a major league record for runs in a four game series, but back to that Dodgers, um, Rockies, uh, uh, <laughs> like four game series that, that game ended with a 16, 15 Rockies walk-off. Uh, it, it was probably the most course field game of all of course field history. Uh, Eric Young stole six bases in that game to tie a major league record. Like it's one of the great like games. It, it was just it's so insane. It's so crazy. Uh, but yeah, pretty classic course. And ending as we often do on a food question: Is there any food item that you absolutely have to have hot sauce, whether that be Tabasco, Frank's Red Hot, Sriracha, whatever? On and for him, it's pho. Is, is something he always puts sriracha on. What about you, Eric? This is a family podcast. We're not working blue this week. Um, no. Uh, so for me, it's eggs. Sure. Um, like I'll, I, my, my usual go-to if, especially if I'm at home is Pico Pica um, just for eggs, but like I'll, I'll use kind of whatever. Um, but there, there's also this um, little, little bottle of stuff. Uh, I believe it's El Yucatan. Um, they have various degrees. Uh, I just use the habanero one. That's it's a it's like a, a bright green. It's probably unnaturally bright green, but uh, it's scary, and it's a little hot for my taste. But it's 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 just like on the periphery for me. They actually have a hotter one that I've tried, and I, I took like one or two bites. I'm like, why would I ever do this on purpose? Like it was it was too hot. Um, but uh, at the same time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Um, I mean, obviously, like nachos or something, like you have to do that. But like, but just in terms of like a regular meal, I, I almost always throw some hot sauce uh, of some sort on eggs. I am a very frequent hot sauce user, kind of on everything. I usually have a buffalo e sauce in my house, a 
Louisiana style, very vinegar heavy oh, sauce. Oh, nice. And then I'll sometimes yeah. have like a particularly really, really hot sauce, or maybe I'll have um, some Cholula. Uh, uh, yep, around the for house. sure. But usually Louisiana is what I go to, and my normal breakfast order is biscuits and gravy and uh, hash browns, and I'll just put hot sauce on all of it, and it's great. Wait, wait even on the biscuits and gravy? Even on the biscuits and gravy? Wow! It's one okay. of the things where it started off where it would actually get accidentally get on it when I was hitting the hash browns. Sure. And then I just noticed it just added a little heat to it. I loved it. Oh, that's good. Uh, I I, uh, I had went out to breakfast with family on Sunday, and that's like about the only time I ever have hash browns. But uh, it's a little like home, a little diner, and uh, same thing. I use that El Yucatan sauce on everything, um, the eggs, the sausage, and the hash browns, and it was it was excellent. I'm hungry. Let's go get breakfast. So this week uh, I did throw together a Dodgers rewind because we were talking uh, about the draft with David Hood. Um, I looked up the uh, top um, position player war uh, by a player drafted by the Dodgers, and this is war with the Dodgers. So um, someone you might think like Mike Piazza, not not the top spot. He is pretty high on the list, but not the top because a lot of his war came after he was traded. But Ron Say uh, tops the list, so he's the, he's the guy this week for Dodgers Rewind. Uh, 44.7 war. This is the baseball reference version. Uh, he played 12 seasons with the Dodgers. It was really 10 full seasons. He had two cups of coffee in there. Six all-star teams, 125 uh, OPS plus. He was the Dodgers, L.A. Dodgers all-time home run leader, 228 when he retired. He was passed by Eric Karros later. Um, you looked at, If you look at the top position player war um, from drafted Dodgers, Say is one, and then the next two are also guys they drafted in 1968 to give you an idea of how good that draft was. Uh, also, the draft, we talked about this too, the draft was weird back then. Steve Garvey is number two, 36.7. They got him in the first round of the June secondary phase draft. I forget exactly what that was, but it wasn't the exact like normal June draft. It was a slightly different. They got Davey Lopes uh, in the January secondary phase draft that year. So there's, they're just big drafting players all year round back then. It was, it was uh, Wild Wild West. But he totaled 32.2 war. Piazza is right behind him, so he's fourth. Um, but, yeah, so that's your list. All 1968 guys, hell of a draft for the Dodgers. But that's that's kind of it for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening. I know we're, we're on a, uh, the, a new network now. We're on the SB Nation podcast network. Um, thank you for sort of making the transition with us. Um, we're happy that you're listening, and we will uh, talk to you next week.